0: Richard Blisbrook here, we are live. You sit here today with none other than Mark Victor Hansen, Bob Proctor, this is Kendra Hall, Sonya Stringer, Jeff Canfield, Witt Jones, James Clear, Les Brown. People want to hear stories. I like getting stories out of my guests here, so thanks for joining us. Hey everybody, Richard Blissbrook here with another Authentic Networker podcast, Today, I have a fascinating individual who actually interviewed me for his podcast, which is how I got to know him. He's the author of Gut. What is it? How to
1: trust it? How to use it? Sunil Godsell. Sunil, say hello. Hey, everybody. Uh, Thanks, Richard. I really appreciate this opportunity um, on The Rebound. Obviously, I found you a very, very fascinating individual myself. Uh, And we got into some really interesting nuggets of how intuition really kind of played a role in your life. And so I'm happy to drop some of the nuggets of what I found of this intangible thing called intuition and my sort of science-based approach to it Um, that's going to move people forward. And hopefully, starting today while we're talking, they're able to think about the times when intuition has kind of helped them, hurt them, and and I'm going to give them some steps on what they can do today to make every decision the right one.
0: Yeah, well... Yeah, that's what I found fascinating was your um, your 10,000 hour approach, which you can elaborate on. I'm curious to start, Sunil, if you so you're an engineer by trade. Yes, which I find I find that one of the most fascinating uh, things about you writing a book and coaching people on intuition, because generally engineers aren't known for their intuition or following their intuition. And so maybe you can speak to that a little bit, but I'd like you to start with, there's a story behind what led you as an engineer and, and a very successful executive in business to dive into intuition. And it came from a series of bad decisions in your life, with, ended up with a friend of yours being shot and killed. Absolutely. Absolutely which I imagine has got everybody's attention now. It got mine. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it really, the, the uh, I, I mean, if we back up even before me thinking about intuition, it really kind of came from, I mean, you showed uh, Gut, which is my second book. But my fr- first book, Fail Fast, Succeed Faster, was really... Uh, so the premise behind that book is if I put a book full of lessons of failure and hurdles from executives and entrepreneurs... The premise is that if you read those stories and you didn't repeat those lessons, then you should be able to, you know, fail fast, but succeed faster. And so when I started speaking on stages around the world on that book, the one question I kept getting from entrepreneurs is, okay, Sunil, give me the one thing. And I said, look, well, I didn't come here with a PDF. If I came, if it was one thing, it'd be a nice PDF or a cue card. I have a 400 page book here until I went back to the audio recordings. And when I went back to the audio recordings, 80 to 90% of those executives had said, use some version of either uh, directly I ignored my intuition I, or I ignored my gut or I knew what the right decision was, but some form of that that led to their their hurdle or their failure. And so I was really intrigued. And so when I reflected back on, okay, when did intuition kind of hit me? And I distinctly remember at five years old, um, there was these video games that I wanted to buy uh, and my dad said they're too expensive. And I had this distinct voice say, Sunil, go door to door and raise money. And so I did. I I, I took my two and a half year old brother in tow. We probably had some diapers on. (laughs) I had lots of milk and cookies and I raised $200. $100 went to my dad and the other $100 went to charity because my school was doing that. And I love that. Um, And so I had all these breadcrumbs of being an entrepreneur. Uh, And then when I reflected back on the times that I didn't uh, listen to my intuition, I ignored it. I had three distinct things that came up. And the first was we talked about my career as an engineer. Uh, and so for those watching, I'm a South Asian male. Uh, and so there's really kind of four career doors that we're groomed for. It's doctor, <laughs> lawyer, engineer, or failure. Right. Right. Uh, right. And so uh, luckily banished. I picked. I banished, banished from absolutely. the door number, family. And door, door number four, four, there's no stairs. You just. right. <laughs> right? So. And, and so I, I went through door number three. My dad was a civil engineer. And uh, so I joined civil engineering. And, you know, I, there were aspects of it I enjoyed, which was the management side of it, managing three or four construction crews, finding efficiencies in the business, saving $90,000 in overtime costs, things like that I enjoyed, but the career aspect of it, I really did not enjoy. And in my second year, uh, of engineering, I got a chance to become a private investor uh, with a Mexican restaurant chain that came up to Canada. Uh, and I joined that. And pretty soon I was making five times more in dividends than I was as an engineer. And so, you know, the, the straw had to break and the, or the dam had to break. And in year three, I quit engineering. I sacrificed my uh, relationship with my dad. I didn't speak to him for a number of years after that. But Wait a minute, I was-
0: did you, how did you tell your dad that why you're retiring from
1: engineering is because you're making it big in a mexican food restaurant <laughs> well, well, and, and so he never understood that right he's thinking he's, okay my kid is my kid selling tacos or what the hell is he doing right like what what is this legacy this east indian legacy all come to like right do, do we sell you know mexi fries with that my, my poor son right so, i love it so i have no clue what was going through his head he must have lost a few hairs um yep. uh, and and but I made the decision and, oh my God, it was the best decision I made. I became, like there were five or six ventures, 20 million in revenues, all the way from retail clothing, wholesale clothing, pop-up events, entertainment company. Uh, so it was just the whole gamut. I loved it. Um, and I ended up going into management consulting and I had this huge contract down in Silicon Valley, uh, lots of dollars, big IT company. But the contract terms kept changing and all of a sudden there's this something that was telling me that very much similar to the something that was telling me I shouldn't have gone into engineering, but different. Uh, and it was saying that you shouldn't take this job. But I was so emotionally involved with the contract size that I went down to the States in Silicon Valley and the company didn't pay me. Uh, and I yeah. came back to Canada with 23 cents in my bank account. And at the time my wife was in India and that's where I met her. And she's phoning to say, hey, how are things going Sunil? I'm, I'm saying, yeah, it's it's not back. Just gonna come back up to Calgary, Canada. to settle things and meanwhile, Uh, you know, I didn't even like, I lost all the money that we were supposed to get married on and I didn't even know where I was going to sleep that night. Uh, And so that was devastating. But perhaps the one that you mentioned earlier was when I was in engineering in university, I was doing some personal coaching at the time. And I had a friend of mine who was actually, she was being stalked at the time. And she was saying, Sunil, I really need some help. Can you, I I need some advice. And again, something was telling me meet with her that afternoon. And I decided to ignore that, say, you know what, let's meet a couple of days later. And the very next day, that same guy walked up to her in a bus shelter and put a bullet through her head and killed her instantly. Um, And now I've lost time, money, effort, and now a very good friend because I ignored this something called intuition. And I really needed to take a deep dive into what it was. And so when I started thinking about intuition, I said, okay. I, I there's, there's no real definition that I could really rally around. Like I went online and it said voices from God um, and it came from manifestation. And for me at that time, that didn't resonate with me. And so if others saw intuition as that, it's great for them. But I really struggled with that definition. And so I remember these somethings being sort of signals uh, as how I characterized them. And I remember in my social media circle, there was an an international psychic uh, from Toronto who talked about signals and intuition. So I said, okay, I'm gonna go interview her, took a film crew to see her. And she was saying intuition, it has, there's signals, it's energetic in nature, and there's really little to no research on it. And so when she said sort of energetic in nature, that struck a chord with me because in engineering, one of the things that we learned about when I came to properties of steel, for example, is like there's a mass-like property and there's an energetic or wave-like property. And so I kind of saw intuition as this, you know, sort of art and science. So if you look at art seeing being that sort of wave-like signals, Mm -hmm. energetic-like properties, that was great. But then that science part was really lacking. And I I was just thinking, okay, look, if this has really kind of affected me, and I have now a book that has a whole bunch of executives talking about this thing called intuition. Like, why the heck is there's no science behind this? It just doesn't make sense to me. And so, again, I look to my my social circle to see, okay, who do I know? And so there's a neurologist in you. And so i say, I'm going to go ask him. I don't know what he's going to be talking about. I'm just going to put maybe five minutes in the meter because he's probably going to say, yeah, 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 you know, and then I can come back and I go home early. And so I, I get set up at the hospital that he's at and so grab a boardroom and I turn on the camera and say, does intuition exist? And he said it absolutely does. Uh, It's tied to there's some neurons that affect the gut and it short circuits the brain. Uh, He goes on to talk about how we all have a sixth sense, Um, and he's he's also saying that there's more and more research that's showing that intuition it actually happens much earlier than we're consciously aware of it. And so now I'm peaked. My interest is just peaked, and I'm thinking, okay, so there is some science to it. So let's go find out what that is. And so I went to an academic research database and I type in the word intuition and I'm thinking, yeah, maybe 10, 12, maximum 50 articles. I hit enter. Tens of thousands of articles on intuition in personal life, entrepreneurship and business. Um, and so then there was these things that, that I thought, like, for example, if I heard about if, if this voice came to me at five years old, then perhaps I'm born with it. And lo and behold, there's this paper that shows that infants as young as two months old have been shown to have intuitive characteristics or what they call intuitive physics in this paper. Um, Then the reason why I struggled with the definition of intuition is because your intuition primarily hits a couple of areas of the brain. But one of them is the amygdala. The amygdala is the primitive part of the brain. There is no language around it. So that kind of makes sense that, okay, that's why some of the other definitions really didn't resonate with me because I have to define it my own way. And so that's how art and science appealed to me. That's why voices of God appealed to other people. And so, Richard, you've got your own definition of how intuition kind of feels like. And everybody that I interviewed, now I've interviewed over a thousand people, including you for my podcast series. Almost everybody, when they talk about their definition of intuition, it's what they feel like and they try and characterize it. And so there's a whole different variety of definitions as one would expect if there's no common definition. And so the other thing I found out is that when Dr. Rathbone, the neurologist, was talking about this being earlier than we consciously think about it, there's this paper that showed that intuition actually acts on average seven to 10 seconds before we actually make a decision or take an action. And they did the same study with entrepreneurs And they found when they measured things like uh, uh, skin conductance and heart rate as sort of a proxy for intuition, they found that intuition acted on average seven seconds before an entrepreneur actually made a decision. So now I've got some science backing, both the personal side and the business side. And so I'm thinking, wow, okay, so let's look at this a little bit further. And so I wanted to really figure out how does intuition really kind of work? And so we'll talk about the signals first. Um, what I found after interviewing over a thousand people, and, and this was a question I had asked you on the podcast, is that there's two types of signals. One ones when we trust intuition called positive signals, and those when we ignore intuition called negative signals. So for me, so for example, the positive signals are all obviously the ones that tell you that the decision that you're about to make is the right one, and so you should go ahead. And so for me, it's sort of that the dots connecting or feeling that sense of flow. Um, and there was one CEO that I actually uh, talked to, and he sees this omen, that pops up on his right shoulder. And he, there's no color, there's no shape. But he just knows that if he's do, doing a business deal, or he's hiring someone, or dealing with a vendor, and this omen pops up, he just says, yes, he stops, whatever he's talking about says, absolutely, let's go ahead. Where do I sign? <laughs> and so and, and he's guided by that. The negative signals there. Uh, so this is they're a little bit more complicated in that. They actually start very subtle in nature, and these are the ones that we miss. These whispers, uh, and as we start to ignore the whispers, then they start to get a little bit louder and louder until you can't uh, you, you can't hear them anymore. Uh, and to some people, you know, they attribute a car crash to that uh, being homeless or almost taking their life as the ultimate negative signal before they actually start to trust their intuition again. Uh, and so for me, it's it's it is that sort of that gut feeling. Or or sometimes I'll walk in something like this. There's just, you know, something's just off. Uh, and so for me, that's what the negative signals are. Uh, and there was one interview, uh, this one entrepreneur I was interviewing. And I mean, this is not really something you talk about. You don't go to a coffee shop and say, hey, you know, what kind of latte do you want? What are your intuitive signals? <laughs> right? I mean, that, I mean, that's just not something that's, that's commonly asked. And so when I was asking him about intuitive signals, he's never thought about it that way. Uh, and yet when we started talking about the, the ventures that he failed at, that he went in for the wrong reasons, for money or fame or something, he kept grabbing his left earlobe. And about 10 minutes in, he goes, Sunil, I think I just realized what my negative intuitive signal is. It's, It's my left earlobe. And he now remembers when he went into the ventures, his left earlobe kept pulsating, getting hotter. And when he used to talk to his wife about these, he remembers grabbing his left earlobe all the time. And so, now we have these th- things called signals that really kind of help us guide us into what decision that we have. But the way that intuition kind of works is a little bit more complex than that. But the way it functions for us is almost like driving a car. And so when you drive a car, you turn, you know, you push the button or in some of the old, I guess we can call older, you turn the keys, you hear the engine were, um, and, and you just drive the car. And so those are the signals not too many people need to be a mechanic to open up the hood to figure out what's underneath. Now, I'm that nerd, that ex-engineer that wants to pop open the hood to figure out, okay, how does intuition actually really work? And what I found out is that there's four types of intuition that actually work all at the same time. And then what they do is they give you a decision and the signals are how they communicate with you. And the best way that I can show you how the four, intuitive, uh, sig- those four types of intuition work is actually from a non-believer. One of my colleagues uh, was an investment banker and his name's John Rothschild. Uh, and I reached out to him and I said, John, I, you know, I'm just starting my interviews on intuition. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. And now you have to remember, like the, the, when I was researching intuition, the, the common knowledge at that time was again, voices from God coming from the cosmos, meditation. So from someone who's an investment banking where spreadsheets rule everything in his life, he was just like, I, I have no clue what we're talking about. Uh, so come on down, uh, I'll give you an hour of my time. But I really don't know what we're going to talk about. And so I, I went down there, brought in my film crew and turned on the camera. And sure enough, he says, "Yeah, Sunil, yeah, intuition just doesn't really exist. And I even tell him about the, the CEO that sees omens. And I s- try to convince him that there are some business people that see this. And he says, you know, I'd really like to shake this guy's hand if he sees omens. But yeah, you know what, Sunil, like, Decisions are based on experience and learning, uh, you know that kind of stuff and 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 data, right? And I said, and now this is where we get into the four types of intuition. One of the four types of intuition is called experiential intuition. And so, if you look at your brain, like a uh, basically like an iceberg, ninety percent is the subconscious uh, below uh, water, and the ten percent above, which is the conscious part, is above water. And so what happens is when, as soon as you're born, you've got these 90 billion neurons just firing on, on all cylinders, getting all these experiences around you. And every single day it's parking these relevant experiences in the subconscious area of your brain, like a library. And so the moment that you need to make a decision, your intuition goes into the subconscious area, pulls out the information that's relevant to the decision that you're making. And then it sends you a signal saying, okay, here's the decision you're making. Here's the experience and learning you've already had, however raw, but it's sending you a signal to make that decision. Or if it's a bad one, here's what's happened in the past that I've seen that you got into, which is a no-no. So I'm going to warn you to back away from that. So that's how it essentially works. And in some cases, I was telling John that your intuition goes against the data. And he said, well, that's really interesting, Sunil, because I have an example of that. And so I said, tell me. So John was in the uh, business of putting franchise locations in. And so typically when you have a franchise location, he used a benchmarking system where uh, if you use it to a scale of 10, a nine out of 10 would mean you put a franchise location like at McDonald's or uh, you know Dunkin' Donuts or whatever it is. Uh, and they looked at things like demographics, traffic patterns and the development of that area as examples. And there was this really dilapidated, terrible area of Toronto, Canada. Uh, And his team looked at that location, and it was a five and a half out of 10. And now we're going to get into the second of four called situational intuition. John and his partner walked to this dilapidated area of Toronto, knowing that there's a five and a half out of 10. And he looks around, he goes, you know what, something is telling me that we need to put the location here. And he went against the advice of his team. And he put a location, that location ended up being location number one for the beer market, and it was one of the best franchise operations under the whole portfolio of franchises that they had. Um, and and so at some point we then we start talking about um, you know teams and how he hires using intuition, and he's starting to get it. He's starting to use it, you know I perhaps it's intuition. I think it's intuition. And then somewhere along the line he says my his purpose changed. He wanted to stop being an investment banker and he wanted to now run a business. Um, and now we're going to get into the third of the four called relational intuition. When your purpose, well, in any purpose that you have, the type of people that you want to surround yourself in, which relational helps filter through, are the ones that are going to support you through the ups and downs, that are going to support what you want to do uh, and what your intention is, and these aren't exactly yes people. These are people that will give you great constructive criticism, but they're the type of people that you want to surround yourself with uh, that are going to help you move forward, uh, and so Richard, it, it, your success is very much by who you surrounded yourself early on, who you took advice from, uh, and who you are today. Uh, you know, it was is with that you know really small circle of people that relational intuition helps you uh, filter through. In John's case, he went from making three to four million dollars a year to running a, 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 a just a, a business from the ground up. All the people who were concerned about money, ego, fame, high end restaurants, security, private jets, limousines, all of them said he was nuts. Not yet, not one of them bothered to ask him why, except his wife. And so he looks at his wife and he says, This just feels right. So there's your intuitive signal. Now you would think that, and then the, and the fourth of the four is now called creative intuition. This is the one where you actually gets him to make the decision and it draws on the other three. Now you would think a successful person making three to $4 million a year as an investment banker is going to pick a business that has healthy cash flows, strong revenues, you know, and a, and a really good balance sheet, not his intuition. He picks a tiny bankrupt little restaurant. <laughs> and so he quits, walks into that tiny bankrupt little restaurant That restaurant happened to be Eastside Mario's location, number one, and that ended up being over a thousand locations. In 20 years, he grew that into $2 billion uh, by the time he retired, all because it felt right. And that's the power of intuition.
0: Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, one of the most common stories that I hear, Sunil, is uh, where the spouse who perhaps knows us best um is the one that gives us that clue and the relational uh intuition so do you have a story where deep uh gave you some guidance and oh yes
1: absolutely i mean even in terms of some of the branding stuff that i was looking at the intuitionology name uh fail fast succeed faster uh you know all of the 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 name of it the, the the branding she has a zero marketing background zero uh, when it comes to meeting the right people who somebody wants to do a deal with me or collaborate, I'll usually get her to take a look at that person and instantly she goes, No, nope, this person is going to be trouble. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's times where I test it, because I'm dumb. And I, you know, and I want to actually use maybe it's a data point for me. And sure enough, 100% of the time, she is bang on. She doesn't, yeah. she doesn't have a, de- a degree in that area. She's. She just knows. And women are actually better at, at intuition because of the way the neurons, they actually go between the two lobes. And so they're faster at intuition. They're better at empathy. They're better at, at feeling than, than men are because we're a little bit more risky. We're a little bit more rational and the neurons kind of go longitudinally. So that's well, kind that's of backed by they, science as well. That's why they rule the world. So I have an, an exercise for those of
0: you that are listening. Uh, if you um, want to put it in the comments, or if, uh, if you're on social media and want to drop it, drop it in the chat, drop in there a couple of lines about a story where you didn't pay attention to your intuition and it cost you or somebody else big time. And then put in there uh, one where you did pay attention and you benefited big time. And while you're doing that, Here's the big question I have for you, Sunil. It seems like and you know, you spoke to this early on that what gets in the way of intuition, I want to say in the simplest of terms, ego. So I think about, you know, um, one of the biggest places that intuition has popped up for me is in hiring people or partnering with people. And my intuition would tell me, nah, this person's, you know, high maintenance, trouble, you know, this isn't a long-term deal. But on the other side, ego, whatever you want to call it, um, it looked like uh, a very profitable or maybe uh, an an a immediately profitable um, either a joint venture or partnership or could even be a hire. And I noticed like one of the things that okay, well, I'm tired of interviewing people and I don't want to interview any more people. And this person is qualified, you know, they check all the boxes. So let's just hire them and get this process over with so we can get to work. And then there's, you have this little voice here for me, it's a voice. And then it's like, yep,
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So the question Neil, is, how do we pay attention to the voice. How, how do you, I mean, you're providing, you're providing great awareness, which I'm sure is maybe half the battle, but what are the practices to put in place so that we choose intuition over ego more often? You have some really brilliant practices.
1: Absolutely. And, and so the easiest and the and one thing that people can do, and they're probably doing it right now, as you're making the suggestion of putting things in, is that when people are thinking back to the times that they ignored their intuition, uh, or when they trusted their intuition, every one of those decisions is a feeling, there's a signal. And what I tell people is you grab a sheet of paper. And what you do is that you write on one, one sheet, maybe take one sheet or one column, the good decisions. And what did it feel like when you made those decisions and try and get as as details as you can. So as, as examples, again, for me, it was that that flow of the dots connecting. Um, And then the the other one you want to do is that you will do the same thing for the bad decisions. But what you want to do with the bad decisions, you have to be very careful here because you and I, let's say we have this voice and say for you, let's say that voice is a negative signal. Uh, And so for you, that voice comes up and that's signal number one for you. I may say because we all talk about this voice and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of these me- themes on, on social media. I'm listening to that little voice. But if that voice, if I stop at that voice, perhaps for me, that's signal number three when I think it's one. If it's for me, signal number three, and I've misidentified that, that means that I haven't taken the time to understand what signal number one and number two are. And if I don't identify those two signals, the next time they come up, I'm going to make a bad decision. In fact, I may even make two bad decisions before that voice comes. Those two bad decisions could be that I simply just stub my toe on on a desk, or it could be headed towards bankruptcy. I just don't know. And so you really need to take your time to do that. And there's a specific process that's really, really important. And and you and I talked about the seven-day challenge before. Uh, And in the seven-day challenge, this is what the process looks like, which is really important for people to look at. In the seventy challenge, what I get you to do is I get you to solve, look at a problem. What problem haven't you solved? And the first thing you look at is what didn't work because what didn't work are your negative signals. And it's important to know what your negative signals are first because when you switch gears to now think about what you should be doing to solve that problem, we, we might be putting things that obviously that are gonna look like positive signals that are saying, yes, this makes sense. But we may emotionally slip in something, to your point, I'm looking to hire someone, I'm tired, uh, you know, and, uh, or, you know, I've hired, like, do we have to do this again? Mm-hmm. So what's, when you look at the negative signals first, and then switch to the positive signals, if you emotionally or, or because of ego or fear, slip in something there, you're you because you've done your work on the negative signals, you're going to get a negative signal saying, ah, 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 Richard, this is not a path that you've got to go through this is not something that's going to solve your problem and so when you get that negative signal you take that out and so what you're left with is essentially every step that you you need to solve that problem and one of the things that you have to put yourself in is something called an intuitive medium and what that is is where do you go to cut out the noise so that you can think about those positive uh, intuitive signals so for me for example in the shower lots of intuitive um, moments come in the shower before i go to bed and in some cases, even before, like I have this ritual with my wife where we, we lie down with each of the kids um, before and they're nine and 14. And so we, we have a chat about what the day was like, uh, or a joke or something. It was just a ritual we've had in our family. And it's such a relaxing place that in some cases, you know, I'll sit on the bed. And even before I hit the pillow, I'm in daydreaming mode.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then my kids are just, you know, they, they're, they're putting their arms, you know, waving their arms in front of my eyes Daddy, you think about intuitionology again. <laughs> uh, but I'm just so relaxed. And I just tell them that this is like, uh, I'm so relaxed here that, again, I'm thinking about a marketing problem. Or maybe there is that person that you know, something was just not right about that person, whatever the case is, these are where I go to think about, you know, these kind of things. And so what is it for you? Is it cycling? Is it walking? Is it swimming? I mean, every again, this is very specific intuition is your subconscious phenomenon, your experiences, your signals, your definition, everything is very unique to you. And so what you what works for one could be something that works for you. But it could be that in that same situation, I think of professional decisions, you think of personal decisions, or maybe we have the same one. So you got to really figure that out. Right. Once, and then once you've got your positive and negative signals, then what you do is that you figure out, okay, who's going to help me solve that problem? and once again you can't get emotional you can't force one of your best friends to come in because that's your best friend your intuition will know that right if you're going to be emotional you, you know you're going to say oh yeah i want bob or jane to come in but that your intuitive signal is going ah, ah, that person has nothing to do with the problem you're solving what right. are you doing and so once you do that do you have to change the environment and then you solve your problem and then what i do in that 7 day challenge is i measure the strength of your intuition from start at the start and at the end And I've had now, actually, we're getting close to 55,000 people now through the seven-day challenge. 100% of the time in those seven days, their intuition has increased. Um, And I have two case studies that uh, people go go through that seven-day challenge to help you along with their decisions. Uh, John Harris was, he actually sold his house using the seven-day challenge. And he was about to list his house at $20,000 under asking price. Uh, But at the end of the challenge, he actually had a bidding war and sold $50,000 over. So that's a $70,000 decision. Average of 10 grand a day, not bad. (laughs) Um, And the other person is Ashley Michelle, who she was actually a witness to a homicide. And what happened is she actually walked into an apartment where her boyfriend had actually murdered one of their friends in the bathtub. Uh, He closed the door behind her, locked the doors, put a knife to her back. And he said, I'm already going away for one murder. Might as well make it two. Her intuition, specifically the relational intuition, calmed him down and just basically managed him. Uh, He assaulted her, choked her. uh, He asked her to clean up the blood, which she refused. And then her intuition found a a slight moment where she was able to run and she did unlock the doors and ran 18 flights of stairs down the apartment building, obviously called 911. And she used the seven-day challenge to basically deal with the PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Now, it's not going to solve it. Uh, but it, what it did is, is it minimized it and what she learned is that she can go to the gym and that was her intuitive medium where she felt emotionally you know nice she she, she was able to really relax uh, and she learned how to start to trust people and so, if so people like John and Ashley can go to the seven-day challenge to solve those types of problems I mean I can't imagine what problem can't be solved by that uh, where and do so- people where do people find the
0: seven-day challenge
1: yeah. So they can go to intuitionology.com and there's a link there or uh, they've got one where uh, you've got, well, I've got one, I guess for yours, where I've got, I think forward slash bliss forward slash seven day challenge. Uh, there's a link there that I can provide for, for you as well, for your folks. Um, and, and and if, and again, it's free, there's no cost to it. Mm-hmm. And what they now have is a, is a fillable PDF worksheet that even if they don't want to do anything with me after that, or they don't like my content, they don't want to see me dance on TikTok. Um, they can take this fillable PDF sheet uh, and then they can just run with any, just print out another one or fill another one and just go through every single problem and use the same proprietary process uh, every single time. And you're gonna solve every 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 problem yeah, using your, propri- your own intuitive signals. You got to sign up for this tool.
0: This is a free tool. You can take it with you wherever you go in your life. You can apply it to any problem that you have and what you have an opportunity to do by following the research that Sunil has done here is really learn to trust your gut. And so back to the book, Sunil, interesting that how long have people on earth been referring to intuition as their gut? And this this has to predate neuroscience I would mm-hmm. think right and you know we're talking about our grandparents our great grandparents our great great grandparents have been referring to hey trust your gut yep what did they know that we don't know and what I'd like to you to speak to around gut is the science if you will of and I know it's it's an emerging science but th- there's a lot of strong science today that our our gut our <laughs> digestive system our intestine is more intelligent than our brain. It has more intelligent beings in it than our brain. I don't remember the numbers, but you know, something like a trillion live organisms in our gut that are intelligent. And how does that? How does that lead to
1: the gut knowing when maybe the brain doesn't know so much? And it's, it's, it has to do with the neural pathways and the, your gut has, as you mentioned, there's a trillion, but there, it's it's the highest concentration of neurons uh, in your whole body. And so when you sense something, and remember, we're talking about the amygdala, which is immediate, it is an immediate signal. It's your gut that's the first reaction and it short, short circuits the brain because the brain is, okay, we hit the amygdala, then the neurons have to go to the frontal lobe. We have to have language. Uh, we have to make sense of it we have to take a look at the situation. So and I'm slowing it down, obviously, this is 200 miles per hour, that these neurons kind of go at, but even that split second, the the guts even much faster. And so that's where the intuition reacts, like, boom. And then we have the processes that kind of confirm that. And that's exactly why the gut um, has that. And I've interviewed two people who actually talk about Uh, Well, three. So one talks about he's a Buddhist monk talks about generations. Uh, Another one is Nelson Mandela's grandson Ndaba talks about it's coming from the ancestors. Um, And a third one, uh, we got into uh, epigenetics with a couple of my guests. And if you look at the study of epigenetics, what that is essentially is that there are certain traits that you have that get carried down to the next generation and beyond. Uh, And so, for example, you see these funny cat videos where you put a cucumber. And the cat just jumps, and in those cats, those kittens have never seen cucumbers in their lives, certainly. Um, and the stud, if you look at the actual paper, which I read the study, uh, they looked at mice, and they were the, what they did with certain mice is they went to a certain type of plant. It was like an almond that was almond, sort of some type of plant, and had some almond. Um, it didn't matter what what the characteristic plant was, uh, but what they did is every time this mouse came to this certain type of plant, they would shock the feet, and so that generation. Uh, it was basically done at, it, to the point where that was now embedded in every time they went to that, they jumped. And so what happened is in the next generation of mice with no, uh, none of that stimulus, they also jumped. Right. And so yeah. that's your epigenetics. So if we were like extrapolate if you've never that.
0: Wondered, you know, how do baby deer learn to be afraid? Yeah. You know, one generation to another, how does a, a hunting dog, know to point and fetch and those aren't trained. That's all that's all built in whether it's um, intuition or, or genetics, I don't know, but pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, one of your quotes that I love the most Sunil, uh, your Pinterest page, by the way, is loaded with them, which I was inspired watching them. I'm tired of ignoring my intuition to let inauthentic people into my life. Aren't you, you know, bringing this whole subject up, like bringing it up to the practical everyday. where do we suffer in life because we don't pay attention to our intuition? One of the areas that I see that happening a lot is boundaries. Yes. Could you speak to that? Like how intuition should be applied to boundaries and the price we pay by not
1: maintaining those boundaries? Absolutely. And so one of the things that happens is that we all come with a certain set of values that are really kind of important to us. Uh, And those values are where we kind of have some of the boundaries. And this is really where these boundaries really get uh, moved or shoved or stamped on is specifically when it comes to relationships. And what happens is when we get into certain relationships, um, we kind of look at the lens of values. And if we don't really kind of trust ourselves, so perhaps we had some trauma in the past, um, or something's happened, or we're looking to external validation, or we're trying to prove something to somebody else. We don't start living a life with truly what our values are. What is our relationship to money, friends, and all that stuff that are in the moment, in the present moment? Um, and so when we don't have a strong sense of values, what happens is then you have other people who are able to actually stomp on the intuitive signals. Because the signals are the ones that tell you whether you're aligning with your values or not. And if you don't trust yourself and you don't trust your values, then those signals are not going to come through. Um, And this happens in relationships a lot of the times where if you look at those people who have been in bad relationships, when you ask them, specifically when it comes to intuition, many of them know right from the very moment that they met that person that something was wrong. Or the other thing that what happens is because people are changing all the time and their values are changing, perhaps you get into a relationship and it's great, whether it's personal, professional, uh, it it doesn't matter how close, but then the other person's value changes. So perhaps he or she's not listening to their intuition. They they start not trusting themselves. They get into some bad habits. Whatever the case is, when their values start to detract from yours in a significant way, Your intuition is now going to start sending you some signals that you better back away. Um, And if you don't, then it's going to get worse and worse. And when you don't establish those boundaries that are clear, then what happens is you allow these people to take over your values, and then you use self-talk to stay, uh, stay in that relationship. And intuition always gives second chances. It's not about second chances. This is about the third or fourth or fifth chance. And one of the exercises that I use when I talk to uh, specifically uh, some of the panels I've been on where it comes to online dating or relationships is one of the exercises I do is I get people to think about someone that they let into their life that really um, did some damage to them psychologically or in some way, shape or form and to get them to close close their eyes. And basically in front of them, imagine that they're on a beach and they put a, a finger in the sand. Uh, and they think about what that feels about like putting that finger in the sand and that that strength that they get. And that then that person emerges. And as soon as that person gets close to the boundary and starts to cross it, they shove that person on the other side and say, stop, stop. And if they need to get louder, they need to get louder. And I've had people break, break down. Um, but what happens is what they do is that that just that thought, become so ingrained in them that they take that boundary analogy again and again. And so then they use that as a filter for every other relationship. And in fact, I remember there was this, this husband and wife that had, had come and there was this one person that was over time was just damaging the relationship between the husband and wife was very costing to that marriage. And they finally, she finally got the, the, the courage as she says to tell that person to kind of get lost. Uh, and when they did, I, I met her three weeks later and she said, it was just like the whole marriage became renewed uh, and they got rid of that person, but they never had the courage to do that before for whatever emotional reasons I never got into the, the depth of that. Um, but that's what happens when you don't listen to your intuition and you kind of sabotage that you have to stick to boundaries. And it, it may mean that, you know, some people say, well, it's lonely. Then there's who, who's there that's going to be around me. Who cares? <laughs> uh, I, I've met, uh, you know, I've met tens of thousands of people as you have. I, I'm sure you've spoken to over a hundred thousand people as I have on, on stages. I have two people around me, two, and I've had people that ebb and flow. I had one. Uh, there was a six year relationship with this other family. We were close. We were meeting like every second day, but something changed about the the values of the other person. I don't know what it was, but they started behaving in a way that was really against the values that I want to surround my family with, and. I cut them off. I said, yeah. "I'm sorry. I don't want my kids around this. Uh, you know, I don't want my family around this." And if life has moved on for them, that's great, and I wish them well. It doesn't mean I'll treat them. I still meet them in other situations. I'm very open. I'll, I'll we'll joke. We'll have a good time. We're just not that close anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 almost like saying, "I'm on this train. This is my track. This is the speed I'm going on." Uh, and if you don't like it, get off at the next station. And if you really bother me, I'm gonna kick you off myself. Now, that may be really hard to, uh, to digest for some people, but I, I, this is the way I wanna live life. I, like I'm driven by my purpose. I'm helping teach people. You see what my daughter is doing. Uh, and my nine-year-old is doing the same thing with, with moving away from bullying incidents because she sees the behavior well before it happens because yeah. of this thing called intuition, which she can't formally understand. But again, she knows how to do that. And if I can help my kids do that at nine and 14, I mean, I can't imagine where they're gonna be in the future.
0: Well, this is the difference between living an aimless life based on non-confrontation and everyone liking you. And you know, people that do that, they go through life just absorbing the values of everyone around them. And so they don't have a purpose, they don't have a set of clear values themselves, and they don't make progress because they get bogged down by everybody else that the powerful journey is to have a purpose in your life and to have clear values so that you know when other people that you may like, they may be interesting, but they don't serve you and they don't they don't serve you on your purpose and on your journey. And you have to let them go. You have to yeah. keep them at bay to begin with. If you let them in, then they change. You got to have the courage to let them go. It's the same thing in running a business, right? if yeah. you have people on your team that are not rowing in the same direction as everyone not that they're bad people and it's not that they're wrong they just have a different purpose they have a different set of values you have to let them go and in life you have to let people go or Absolutely. they're going to drag you down and, Again, and you also, the book is yeah, the book is gut what is it how to trust it how to use it Sunil Godzi, an MBA, BSE. I suppose the BSE means you're an engineer, right? I'm the engineer, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and he's got the seven day challenge, yeah. folks, which is free. 55,000 people have taken it. You can take it with you for the rest of your life as a tool to trust your intuition. Drop in the chat wherever or the comments wherever you're watching this podcast. When have you listened to your intuition and it paid off big time? when have you ignored it and it cost you big time like it cost Sunil which put him on this course somebody he cared about somebody that was close to him somebody that needed him he didn't trust his intuition she died as a result that's a heavy burden and Sunil what I see you doing with it which is a huge inspiration is taking that lesson and using it to contribute to millions of people around the world on this really, really important subject of intuition. I give you the last words, my friend. What do you want to tell this audience in parting about where to find you or what to do with their intuition?
1: Absolutely. So I'll start with where to find me, and I'll end with what I want your listeners to have or those watching. You can find me obviously intuitionology.com my podcast series is there and it's all on the itunes deezer spotify uh you can see me on uh, linkedin twitter uh, facebook instagram pinterest um youtube channel is there as well Um, and so i'm all over the places happy to dm but where i want to leave your listeners and those watching is there's a difference between concept and reality and the difference is in action and so the best example I can give is is there's two case studies here. A fellow, uh, he's now become a friend. Vin Zhang um, is someone who lived for other people. He he used to see hundreds of thou- over a hundred thousand people a year uh, on eighty stages, and his career was amazing. He used to be a past an inter- international magician. Now he's in communication, and he says he was living a crappy life, and he isolated himself when he put up the values on a sticky note. He looked at them and he said, this is what my wife wants. This is what my kids want. This is what society wants. Where's, where am I? And so he fixed his values. But what happened is he didn't take action. After that trip, he fell right back into getting in with the wrong crowd uh, and external motivation and having that big brand name and living in a high-rise downtown LA. And it was his, his, his parents that actually his mom said there's a, there's a saying in Vietnamese that if you hang around squid, you're going to get ink. <laughs> and he said you're hanging around too many too many squid so he changed and six months later he did the same uh, same exercise and he decided to actually he said it was frightening when you give that liberty it's frightening but he did and he started to live now on intuition and he lost six months of his life and there's this uh, this thing called opportunity cost that i always talk about and i went to vin and i said it's not just the six months that you lost not listening to your intuition It's also the six months that you could have gained by listening to your intuition. So you actually lost a year of your life and he's in the business of helping other people. How many people in that one year did you leave behind? And so when it comes to action, one of the biggest things that we have is fear. Fear of change, fear of unknown, fear of failure. But remember that I told you that your intuitive signal already has gone to your past you've already made that decision in the past. You've already been there in some of the other experiences you've had. So you have the ability to take that next step. And so you have two choices to make. And there was this one fellow, David Dame, who had cerebral palsy all his life. His dream was to just stand on a beach being held up and have the sand and the ocean water go through his, through his toes. Two, a couple of years ago, he got that opportunity. He gets wheeled to the edge of the sand and the water And he gets up, and he feels it, and he falls flat on his face. He's embarrassed, and fear starts creeping in. And he says, Sunil, I have two choices to make. I can sit back and ignore my intuition, go back to my wheelchair, and forever regret that I was never able to turn that dream into reality because I'm here. Or you can listen to the intuitive signals and take a step and take a next step and take another step. And then he points to his chin and he says, the water got up to about my chin level. And that's when I looked back. And when he did, he hadn't realized how far he had come. That's how you take action by listening to your intuition. And that's what I'll leave your listeners with.
0: Beautiful. Well, Sunil, your um, tragedy turned to triumph journey is a huge gift to people. I know, I know everybody out there that's listening to this struggles with intuition and I know their intuition tells them that they need to trust their intuition and their intuition has been telling them their whole life. They need to trust their intuition. And so this is immensely helpful. Uh, I trust that you'll all get the book gut and study it. And I trust that you'll also take the seven day challenge. And that you'll actually think about what is one big time when I didn't trust my intuition that cost me and put that in the comments. Um, And what's one big time I did trust my intuition and it paid off big and put that in the comments and go to school on Sunil Ghatsi. He's a gift to all of us that are looking to live more abundant, more peaceful, more free, more authentic lives. And that's what we bring you from the Authentic Networker. So thank you for joining us, Sunil. Thank you for joining us, listening audience. This is Richard Blissbrook telling see you next time at the Authentic Networker.